Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Kelly Moore joins me to talk about the NHL offseason, our sports director, as we get into the nitty-gritty, the expansion draft, free agency. What's going to happen for the Winnipeg Jets and around the league? Well, stay tuned to find out what we think. Plus, we're going to talk to Jamie Bentons of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League, a look back at the first half of the MLB season and ahead to what's next for the Blue Jays and the rest of the league on the second half. That's coming up on the podcast. It's going to be a busy month in July. It's not always the case uh, outside of the CFL. We normally have CFL, but we have a different dates this year for the start of free agency in the NHL, the entry draft, the expansion draft. And uh, joining me to talk about all this is Kelly Moore, CJOB Sports Director, host of our Jets coverage here on CJOB. Kelly, I, I feel like I've been a bit neglectful. You, you contribute so much to the show, but I never actually have you on as a guest. Yeah, well, you know, we talk a lot during the hockey season, so uh, I, I, I could see where that could, uh, you know, certainly fall through the cracks. But I'm always there for you, man. I'm always there for you. Appreciate it. So uh, we got a bit of a break here, uh, about a week and a bit for us. Uh, obviously, the team is doing a lot of work. Teams are doing a lot of work behind closed doors. Just uh, get, let's get your impression, first of all, on the, the season that was, the pandemic season that we hope to never see again. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, You know, there were some unique things about it, uh, obviously, from our perspective, Christian, uh, here in Winnipeg, uh, the All-Canadian Division. Uh, I'll never, ever get used to games being played without fans, uh, so I hope that we never, ever have to go through that again. Uh, And and then also the fact that, uh, you know, you you only played six teams uh, in your division. And I don't know that the nastiness, the vitriol, the intensity ever ramped up the way that I think many of us thought it would. I don't know what it was like for you, Christian, but down the stretch, games that I thought were going to be uh, the second coming of World War III never turned out to be that way at all. And I just don't know if it was because of the, uh, the schedule being as aggressive as it was uh, but uh, all in all, the fact that the National Hockey League was able to pull this off and that they were able uh, to, didn't really like what happened with Vancouver and Calgary down the stretch, but they were able to make it a legitimate season with all of the teams playing the same number of games and then to be able to uh, continue the playoffs and uh, to the surprise of no one, I mean, the playoffs were easily the best part of the year. There were some absolutely terrific games uh, and terrific series. Uh, and, of course, it all uh, capped off with Tampa Bay winning it. But uh, looking forward uh, definitely to something that's a little closer to normalcy next year. I agree with that 100%, Kelly, about the down-the-stretch part. It seemed like teams were almost weary of each other at a certain point, And really the only craziness we saw from a – if you want to call it a fisticuff standpoint, really was the Tampa Bay-Florida series yeah. to start that one. It was nuts, and these were all divisional battles, but we didn't really see anything too uh, crazy in terms of bad blood, but maybe that was just, just weariness at a certain point. But yeah. let us look ahead now. The expansion draft uh, is coming up on the 21st. Teams have to submit their list by 4 p.m. Central on the 17th. I think it's pretty clear who we think the Jets – 
will leave exposed. We obviously don't know what the behind-the-scenes uh, dealings will be. We never thought Toby Enstrom uh, would be the guy that weighs the no-trade clause, and then Chris Thorburn gets taken by Vegas a few years ago. But Mason Appleton right now seems to be the one that's uh, probably the most tempting option for Seattle as we see it right now. Yeah, see, and I disagree with you 100%, okay. uh, Christian. I think Mason Appleton will get protected. I think uh, that because the Jets don't really, at least uh, uh, again, uh, you never know what's going to happen with signings. It would make no sense to sign Andrew Kopp uh, before the expansion draft. But uh, I think that if there isn't real clarity uh, from the Cop camp on, on what they're looking for, uh, I could see the Winnipeg Jets leaving Andrew Kopp unprotected for a couple of reasons. A, uh, because of the uncertainty of the contract and moving forward, and not that they want to lose Andrew Kopp. I mean, he is a very versatile forward. He is a class act through and through. Uh, but uh, if the Jets have any kind of depth uh, where they can maybe afford to, to, to lose a player, it would be more up front than it would be on the back end. And, uh, I, and I know uh, that many think that uh, Logan Stanley will be exposed. I think it'll be Dylan DeMello. And my thought process on that is that while the Jets certainly see the value in Dylan DeMello for the next three years at $3 million per, you don't know uh, if, if Seattle will. Uh, and therefore, at least and this is strictly my own uh, way of thinking, Christian. I think if the Jets want to tilt it, tilt Seattle to picking a player that they want to uh, uh, lose, I guess, uh, against the player they want to lose less, they would probably want to, have Seattle tilt more towards Andrew Kopp than they would Dylan DeMello. But I think they'll protect Appleton and Stanley. That's my pick. Okay, okay. Yeah, DeMello, I mean, we saw the value of DeMello when he went down Absolutely. in the Montreal series. They were cooked, yeah. <laughs> and the, the Shifley was, uh, suspension was a big part of that, too. DeMello signed for three more years at $3 million. He's 28 years old. Stanley in RFA, he's 23 years old, and obviously we just saw – uh, a smaller sample size of him, but he, he fit in in the NHL, the, definitely a much more raw player. Uh, but this is the the things we don't know behind the scenes, right? Will Kevin Sheveldayoff yes. say, Ron Francis, hey, we'll give you this if you make sure you take this guy instead, like we saw with the pick swap with Vegas back in 2017, the, the pick that ended up being Nick Suzuki, uh, yeah. for those that haven't heard. But uh, for, the, for the Jets here, what – so you're thinking Andrew Kopp's the guy. As far as the, uh, I guess, moving forward after that to the to the free agency part of things, the defense core is obviously the, the position of need for this team. Right now, Morrissey, DeMello, uh, Ville Hanela, Sammy Niku is signed for another year, and then you go down to the, the moose, basically, guys like Dylan Sandberg, Declan Chisholm, Johnny Kovacevic, who's an RFA. I mean, how how much pressure is on Kevin Cheveldayoff to, to make a, a big move here to get a, a defenseman in this offseason? Well, that would be the expectation, just as it was at the trading deadline. Uh, but I think it's probably a little more likely uh, that he tries to do something through free agency or, or possibly a trade. And, and I just want to clarify, Christian, that in no form or fashion uh, – do the Winnipeg Jets want to give up a player like Andrew Kopp? No. Uh, but In a perfect world, you give up nobody at the expansion draft, but you have to give up somebody. Right. 
Yeah, so you're going to lose a good player. How many times did we hear that in the uh, you know the conversations we've had on this particular topic? So oh, yeah. uh, with Andrew Kopp, it it turns out at least in my mind the lesser of four evils uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, and some of that is economically related because you know what, uh, Christian. Andrew Kopp deserves to be paid uh, a, a decent amount of money, but I just don't know for where he is in the batting order for the Winnipeg Jets if they can afford to pay him the kind of money uh, that probably the market dictates he should. So that's where my way of thinking is Fair coming enough. in on that, just to, uh, to clarify. Uh, and actually, I want to back up the truck a little bit okay, because as much as the expansion draft uh, and the protected lists are are the first things kind of on the horizon as far as dates are concerned. But, you know, like as of, I think, about 11, oh, you know, 10.01 a.m. our time tonight, buyouts can begin. Because okay. uh, under the uh, under the terms, uh, 24 hours after the last game of the Stanley Cup final has been played, teams can start to take a look at buyouts. And so I, I kind of wonder, because of how some teams are so strapped for the cap, if we might not see a few buyouts take place before uh, those expansion lists are are submitted. Oh, for sure. And, yes, it is uh, 24 hours after the mug is awarded, the buyout window, the first buyout window opens, and it closes at 4 p.m. Central Time on July 27th. So it will certainly affect the the expansion draft for for some teams. Are you suggesting that you, you think the Jets will buy someone out? No, no, I, okay. I, I I don't see the Jets buying somebody out. But boy, I'll tell you when when you look at at at, at some of the the deals that are out there, like if I was to be have a gun held to my head and say, okay, you have to pick three players who'd be the most likely to be bought out. Uh, I think, uh, and in no particular order, uh, as the guy on Dancing with the Stars used to say, uh, Zach Parise. Four years left at seven and a half million. He was a healthy scratch for Minnesota. That, that's a big, big ticket to pay. But uh, you know, the Wild also are, are one of those teams that uh, have some cap issues uh, as it stands right now. You know, they're at sixty-five, just over sixty-five and a half million, and that's with only sixteen players signed. Uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, five years left at seven million per, and he's a third D pair player for the San Jose Sharks. And they have they have only 15 players under contract and 71.1 million committed. Oof. So, you know, and, and then I, I think uh, perhaps another guy, he only has one year, Vlasic has five years left at 7 million. So that would be a real healthy a ticket for the owner. Yeah. yeah, it would be. There's no doubt about it. But they also need cap relief. Uh, and then you've got Miko Koskinen uh, at one year left. Now, I'm not suggesting these buyouts would take place before the expansion draft, uh, but uh, you know, if you're San Jose uh, and if you're the Minnesota Wild, you can bet your bottom dollar that Zach Parise, well, Parise might not uh, might have a no-movement clause, so they might uh, have to negotiate that way. I've got to go back and take a look at that. But uh, anyway, that's, that's some of the intrigue that could take place even before we uh, start with the expansion draft, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, there's other players like James Neal's has two years left at 5.75. Eric Johnson, two years at $6 million. Keith Yandel, two years at 6.35. Yeah, so. Yandel's another name on my list. I don't have him quite as high up as, as those other three. And right. the interesting thing about James Neal, too, Christian, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, because Edmonton can't afford uh, to take on that $5.5 million contract of uh, uh, Duncan Keith's without having something go back the other way so you know what and because chicago's hands are are pretty well tied on the duncan keith issue you know he wants to play in the pacific northwest or western canada so that basically narrows it down to seattle edmonton and possibly winnipeg because calgary and vancouver they're they are in salary cap hell they have Mm -hmm. no opportunity whatsoever uh, to take on that deal unless you know you could make a, a sideways deal and i don't know if either of those teams really uh, would be looking at Duncan Keith uh, from that perspective. They have such bigger other fish to fry. Uh, but Edmonton, you know, they, they'd they have to go dollar for dollar on a deal so they could alleviate themselves of that James Neal contract if Chicago was willing to take that on. And, and not that the Hawks are in any great shape when no. it comes to the salary cap either. And, Kelly, I was just thinking as we get into the offseason and free agency for the Jets and the fact that the blue line is still such a position of need for this team, how they're still dealing with the ramifications of the Dustin Bufflin situation? Well, yeah, I, I know some have suggested it, it, it should be an easy fix by now, but when you have a player of that magnitude, uh, you know, it, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's he, you just don't replace those kind of – I mean, he, he – He's a game-changing player, uh, so it'd be like San Jose trying to replace a Brett Burns. It's just—it's almost impossible to do uh, and maintain uh, the same level that that you were at. But I, I think the Jets have done a pretty decent job. I know they just get beat up big time uh, for the fact that uh, you know their blue line. Uh, is what it is now compared to what it was in uh, 2019, uh, but. Uh, you know, when, when I, I still think, though, the way that it's shaping up, Christian, uh, you have to take a look at the idea. And, and watching David Savard during the Stanley Cup final in particular, uh, he, he was playing as a third defense pairing with uh, Sergachev uh, for Tampa Bay. So, you know, I'm, I think in game three or four, he only had something like 12 minutes. And we've seen it with Dylan DeMello. When he went from third pair minutes to top pair minutes with Josh Morrissey. Look how his play improved in that Edmonton series. So as good as Savard was for Tampa Bay in the playoffs, I think he could be even better uh, for a team if he was playing top four minutes, especially on the number one pair. Uh, And so while the Jets maybe didn't think uh, that it was uh, a good idea to give up a first-round draft pick for Savard uh, at the trading deadline, uh, he'd have to be a person of interest, I would think, for Kevin Dayoff when free agency starts at 11 a.m. on July the 28th. I, I have to, to think that. And just on the Bufflin note, right, it's the fact that he's getting paid a lot of money and you find out during training camp that he's not going to be oh. there for you. So they had no time to prepare for his absence and couldn't do anything with the money that he was getting paid. And then a, by the time you get it resolved, you're in a pandemic, the cap is flat, and there's, yeah. the market is completely changed. So yeah. it was, it was an untenable a, situation. Oh, perfect it, it, storm it, yeah. of of, yeah. Just, of trash, really, for, yeah. for the Jets. You know, if, if it could have been the same way, Christian, that 
it is with Brian Little, where you know going in, the medical uh, right. professionals have, have you know said, do not play. It is not in your best interest uh, in uh, carrying your life forward. Well, then you can utilize that money. But the, Kevin Dayoff could never spend that money, or he would have backed himself up against the wall. Uh, he he could have well, rolled the dice. Because was suspended. It wasn't long-term injured reserve for him. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, and of course, it took forever for the National Hockey League and the NHLPA to come to some kind of consensus on this. So, I mean, it was just a mess uh, from, the you know, the perspective of the Winnipeg Jets and, and what they had to deal with. And I thought under the circumstances, uh, they did a pretty good job. But, they're you know, they're free and clear of that now uh, in going forward. So, and and there are some pretty good free agent defensemen uh, out there. I would think Savard, ah, Dougie Hamilton, uh, you know, we still don't know if he'll wind up in Carolina. I mean, he yeah, would be, he would be a perfect great world, be great, but yeah, I just don't, but, I can't see it. But you know, the one thing about Dougie Hamilton, he, he's a, he's a bigger defenseman, but he's more on the skill side. He's not on that physical side. I think the jets really, you know, they really need to focus on somebody who, who can play the game, but play it with sandpaper in their skin. Uh, and, and, and because they've, they've certainly got, you know, willing guys in Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk. I think Logan Stanley will certainly be able to play with even more grit as he gains a little bit more confidence and a little bit more experience. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I really do. And, and Dylan Sandberg still a couple of years away, but boy, all reports, <laughs> he laid some people out in the American Hockey League. So he has that element, uh, but it, it might not be in time, you know, for this coming season or even the year after that. So uh, that's where I would see that uh, come uh, free agent day, uh, that uh, you'd have to think that Kevin Cheveldayoff is, is going to give it a pretty good go. And the Jets are set up not too badly from a salary cap perspective uh, uh, either, Christian, because uh, they can be pretty confident they can use that Brian Little LTIR money for the next three years. And, uh, you know, if that's right around uh, the area, the, you know, that $5.5 million or so uh, that you could dedicate to a defenseman, a top four defenseman who can uh, play with uh, a reasonable amount of skill and an even more, a bigger amount of truculence than, uh, to me, that's what the doctor would order for this hockey club. I'll look forward to all the coverage we'll have coming up this month as we go through these big NHL events. Kelly, appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and we'll check in again with you pretty soon. Yeah, you call anytime. I'll be there. Let us talk baseball, because we're... A few days short of the All-Star break in the Major League Baseball season. It means we're a little past the halfway point of the season. So I figured now would be a good time to bring on Jamie Bettens, president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. He is a big baseball fan, big Blue Jays fan, regular contributor to the CGOB Sports Show, basically our baseball correspondent. Uh, Jamie, welcome back to the show. Let's start with the Blue Jays. They're 44-40 and at the moment. They got rained out tonight against the Orioles. They're third in the AL East. What are your impressions of them so far? I think the Jays' offense is for real. The defense is is uh, playoff caliber. Um, the starting pitching is holding water, but I think there's a potential hole in that boat. And the relief core, uh, they've obviously made a few emergency trades before anybody else has started making trades as they identify what the rest of the world sees in, in their true downfall. And if there's a finger to point at to them not making the postseason, it would easily be their bullpen because – Three games over 500 is is okay, I guess, in Major League Baseball, but they could easily have 
probably won five to seven more games if their bullpen could have uh, held anything together in the first half of the season. Well, they're near the top of the league in bullpen losses, so it just goes to show you. And they're down there with Baltimore and Minnesota, who are terrible. So it just goes to show you the importance of a, of a bullpen, right? The the Jays are plus 79 in run differential, which is third in the American League, and yet right now Tampa Bay is just above them in the division, and then the, the Red Sox are up there as well. It's not something we're surprised by. We went into the season knowing the Jays could score a bunch of runs, but it was about run prevention that that would be an issue. And that's kind of borne out, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the one telling stat is, is the amount of saves that the Blue Jays organization has as a team right now. And I think they're third last in the league in saves. And so when you have that kind of run differential, you know, either you've had two or three absolute blowout wins or you can't hold a game tight towards the end. And, and if you don't have a lot of saves, uh, you don't have a lot of trust in, in, in a go-to guy as a closer. Uh, Romano is is doing okay. I wouldn't give him an A-plus grade at this point. Um, but I think that they're going, to, they're going to have to do some sort of splash, and it's going to have to be a name that's going to come in to solidify that bullpen if they're going to make it. There are only a handful of teams with losing records at home, and they're all at the bottom of the league. Uh, the Jays, by far the best team with a losing home record, but that's because they really don't have a home playing in Buffalo. And whenever the Yankees are there, it's all Yankees fans because it's New York. But do you think that getting back to Toronto, which is something that maybe they'll be able to do before the end of the season, would really boost their odds of making the playoffs? I think it's worth I think it's worth a, a, a certain amount of wins. I, I do think home home field advantage, you know, as you can see, the top teams do have that. So when they get the comfort of their locker rooms, their their own living quarters, uh, you know, you're not living out of suitcase as much. I, I do think there's an advantage to that, and I do think it's at least worth you know five to seven wins. And in a tight race for the wild card, you know, five wins could make a huge difference. So I, I do believe that this could be uh, something that the Jays are kind of banking on as they move forward. Now we knew that Vlad Guerrero Jr. was a talented player. But did you see this kind of season coming where right now he's leading the league, the majors, not just the American League, but the majors in runs batted in. He is second in home runs. He's first in OPS. He's just crushing the ball this year. I, I, I think, you know, everybody expected him to almost do this from the start. And because he didn't, the expectation bar got set so low that this seems like an absolute supernatural which in reality he is, but what I'm seeing is such a professional approach that you see in a lot of pro athletes that had, you know, a, a mom or a dad or, or somebody in the family that played at the pro level where they were around kind of the the, the whole idea of, of what it's like to be around the team and around games and stuff like that. He, nothing phases him because he's been there for so many years and exposed to it. It would be different if he had tons of home runs and tons of strikeouts but the fact that he's taking the ball the other way, he's hitting for the highest average in the major league right now, tells me that he is absolutely for real. And, and this could be sustained over a long period of time if he keeps his body in shape and, and healthy. Yeah, coming into tonight, padding 341, leading the major leagues. He's done it all. So looking at the other teams, what's the biggest surprise, either positive or negative, uh, from the rest of baseball so far this year? I think the parity is, is, is quite interesting. We do have our bottom feeders. There's not nearly as many. There's a lot of teams in the hunt, which was the goal of the wild card years ago. 
Um, but you look at some of the surprise stories, the San Francisco Giants, my, my Lord, coming out the way they're doing in, a, in an absolutely loaded NL West. Uh, the Minnesota Twins are, are actually disappointing with some of the big names they have. There was rumors of Nelson Cruz being offered up already in trade speculation. So there are just surprises in that respect. Um, and, and then you never like to see things like the Trevor Bauer uh, you know, incident coming out. Whenever players and social media get a little bit more play than the game, um, it, it really takes away from the game. And, and when we're coming back from COVID and trying to get back to normalcy, uh, you know, those kind of things stick out for me. Uh, but on the positive side, uh, like the whole Shohei Otani thing and what that's doing for young ball players all over the world and telling players they can hit and pitch um, is probably, to me, the the most exciting story of the season so far. I would agree that Shohei Otani is amazing. I think the fact he's in the home run derby uh, is awesome. The fact that he's going to pitch and hit in the All-Star game, I, this is something that like that we've never seen before. People can say he's the second Babe Ruth. Now, he's the, he's the first Shohei Otani, and it's possible that we may see something like this again. But the thing that uh, you look at the most about him, and this is kind of Mike Trout syndrome 2.0, the Angels just aren't that good. And every year they've got this transcendent player. Now they've got two, though Trout is hurt right now. And they're two games above 500. They are right now four games out of the second wildcard spot, so they're in the hunt still. But to have someone that good and to just be a completely middle-of-the-pack team is disappointing, but that's what the Angels are. It says a lot for the season he's putting together. It is a very tight race at this point. Uh, you'd have to tip your hat to Shohei at this point for the MVP over Guerrero. And the fact that he's got them at an over 500 pace is astounding without Mike Trout in the lineup. Anthony Rendon was a huge pickup for them. Um, but the interesting piece for me was the Albert Pujols trade a few weeks back. It freed up a lot of salary opportunity there. And they don't have a lot of guys they need to re-sign to longer-term deals. I mean, Otani's going to get his money at some point, but that's going to be what it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a look at kind of the arms race going forward and make a decision to either go for it, use some of that Pujols money uh, within the budget to maybe try to see if they can sneak in there. Um, but again, it would, it would have to do a lot with when Mike Trout gets back. If he's, if he's due back in the fairly re- uh, near term, I think there's a chance, but if he's still going to be extended, as far as the injury reserve, uh, then maybe they just kind of try for the higher draft pick, you know, take the fanfare and the fans that are coming to see Shohei and then make a run for it next year with free agency. And on the negative side of things from a team perspective, the Yankees are only three games above 500. Cleveland has lost nine in a row. The Cubs just snapped a double digit losing streak yesterday. Which of these kind of stands out at the top of what the heck happened to this team? You know, to me, it's the Cubs. Um, They seem to come so far, so long, and they had so many pieces in place. And ever since you heard of Chris Bryant being in trade rumors, it just seems like the the ownership has maybe somehow, just the appearance, I guess, is that they're giving up a little bit on this core group and maybe trying to blow it up a little bit. They've, you know, let you Darvish walk and a few other things. So you could kind of see that coming. Cleveland, you know, was in a bit of a rebuild. It's very typical for some of these teams to take a look at the AL East or, or the AL Central like, like Cleveland is in and say, 
the White Sox are loaded right now. Tampa, Toronto, they're all loaded. We're going to take a step back for a couple of years, maybe get a few higher draft picks, uh, and then make our splash when their window closes. So teams are always looking at other teams' window of opportunity and making their adjustments on that. Um, but but I have to think that you know those two stick out like a sore thumb, and then you know Pittsburgh and and even Atlanta, you you kind of thought they were maybe on the way up, but uh, they they haven't been able to do anything yet. And let's give the White Sox some credit; they're they're crushing that division even without Eloy Jimenez and Houston as well right now with uh, the top win percentage in baseball or uh, in the American League. They're just behind the Giants in win percentage across baseball, but. They're not banging trash cans, and they're still winning a ton of games. So they may have cheated before, but they're still really good. Absolutely. Houston's scouting department for pitching or for acquiring pitching in a trade seems to be very good. Uh, I would say Houston and Tampa are the two teams that you'll see a trade come out of nowhere, and you'll it'll be for two relievers that you've never really heard of. Uh, but a year or two down the road, they're either starting a game in the playoffs or they're coming in throwing 99 miles an hour in the in the in the American League Championship Series. So it's it's interesting to see. Um, says a lot about maybe the integrity of some of the people in the organization that weren't necessarily tied to the trash can scandal. Um, and, and you know you you hope that you know it comes back down to baseball, and that's maybe what Houston's looking at now going forward. Before I let you go, we got to talk about the goop, the sticky balls, the major leagues baseball idea that, okay, hitting, no one can hit, the pitchers are too good, let's crack down on illegal substances on baseballs. And since they started enforcing this a couple weeks ago, there's no doubt the spin rates have gone down quite a bit across the board and more runs have been scored. Is it working? Do you like this? I think it's leveling the playing field a little bit. Baseball has been synonymous with, you know, players or pitchers trying to get the edge on one another since the beginning of the sport. Um, whether it's stealing a sign as a leadoff runner at second base, or you know, just a player being traded and, and kind of giving up some tribal knowledge that they have to the to the incoming organization, it's always going to happen. Um, I think the pitchers were getting away with it and stretching it too far. So it was due that they got their knuckles wrapped and now you're seeing it revert back to the norm. But what it's really doing is it's leveling the playing field. And so the players that maybe weren't abusing the substances, you know, to enhance the, the grip on the ball are now maybe getting their due on the same stage. You know, the Garrett Coles are still going to be elite, but some of those middle reliever or those mid-tier starters are now going to get better contracts because they're going to be able to put up the same numbers as maybe some of these other guys that got huge contracts for, for, for throwing with an illegal baseball for the last three or four years. Do you like the all-star game in baseball? I do. I do because you need it for the fans. If you don't have fans, it's, it's hard to have a season. It's hard to own a team and and make money. Um, You know how they do it. You know, I don't know if there's too many ways to reinvent the all-star game. Um, Sometimes the old classic, all-star games of the championship team playing a group of all-stars, you know, would be something interesting or, you know, some sort of effect. Um, it's very hard to do a skills competition aside from the home run derby. And, and obviously the players are starting to show that they're getting taxed on it and, and a little too tired for the regular season and, and kind of backing out to a certain degree. But I wish they had more of an all access to maybe like the batting practice and the warmups. So you could see, 
you know, Brandon Crawford, who's one of the best defensive wizards at shortstop, you know, maybe talking with Bo Bichette and working on, you know, backhand techniques. I think the fans would love that in-depth kind of behind-the-scenes look just as much as maybe, you know, a game where the pitchers are throwing 95 right down the middle and just, you know, letting the fireworks happen. And lastly, who's your World Series right now? Oof, you know, it, it's hard to to take the Dodgers out, which is something that you and I had talked about before. Um, you know, they're the team that will not be afraid to make some some reinforcements at the trade deadline. But, you know, Tampa looks hungry and they look focused to me. So I think, you know, Tampa going back there, um, could it be a repeat? Tampa, L.A., that could very well happen. Um, you know, for all those Blue Jay fans out there that have hope, you'd have to see a huge splash at the trade deadline. It's not going to be a piece or two. It would have to be a huge piece coming back uh, for them to really, you know, put that foot forward. Uh, if I had to pick right now what you're asking, I, I think Tampa, LA are primed to, to maybe go at it again and, and, uh, and have a really good one. Well, thanks for this as always, Jamie. And uh, perhaps we'll check in right as we hit the home stretch uh, right before September there. Thanks as always and enjoy your summer. Thank you. You too. Take care. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the